Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Hey church fam, how are we this morning? I said, how are you? Not good morning, come on. All right. See, they thought they were on. They thought they were on to me, but they're not. I got you. Yeah, yeah, you're watching me, I'm watching you. All right. The game within the game. Hey, it's awesome to be here. It's awesome to to be able to gather together in week two of our series called Kingdom People. I introduced the idea that we're people of exile. We're going to continue some of that theme today. But as people of exile, hopefully that you have been reading the passage from last week and and sitting in it. Maybe you've even read ahead to see where we're going to be today because within your sermon notes, we always put the verse to read for next week. So that way you're in tune with what's happening in my preaching but my hope is that when you look at this, that, that it doesn't lead to a sense of hopelessness. Instead of it leads us to a place of, of hopefulness in Christ. Because although we are people of exile, that we are, we are really strangers. And strangers here on earth, but yet we're citizens of heaven. And even in the midst of that, God has a great plan for us. And the plan that he has for us isn't for us just to, to gather together on Sunday and sing some songs and, and, and to laugh and hug some necks and then leave. It's, he has a, a plan and purpose for us every single day of our lives. For us to live on mission for him and not to hide in fear, but to live by faith. So that's what I talked about last week and just introducing this idea of what it means to be a kingdom person. A kingdom person. Another way, maybe to, to an analogy that would work is, I'll just take you back to when you were a kid. And remember when you used to go to the carnival? And some of you, like me, used to get on the swings. Remember the swing? Who remembers the swings at the carnival? There you go. Put your hand up really high. That's fine. You're the brave people in the room. I get it. That's fine. Who, who after a series of years, vowed never to get on the swings again? There you go. That, they're, saying, they're honest and brave people. The thing about the swings is this, you start out, you start out really slow and you get on the swings and then then the swings, they pick up, right? And the speed picks up and then some of you are like engineers, I'm looking at one right now, he's like, I've got this dialed in, get this right. So it's like, (laughs) and then the the faster you go, the, the faster it goes, the more the centrifugal force forces the swings out, right? And then the faster it goes out and then they spin it faster, like it's driving faster, and, and for me, I didn't know which way I was coming and going, so the last time that I was on one of those swings, I, I felt like I was still on the swing throughout the rest of the day, and I said, I'm never doing that again. I'll leave that to someone else. But there's something here, because when you're on the swings, the centrifugal force, you start out, and yet the faster that you go, the longer that you do it, the more you feel the effects of it, and the more that it spreads out, such as that with the kingdom of God and with God's kingdom people. You see, the closer that we get to Christ and the more that we connect with Christ, the further he can trust us to expand his kingdom here on earth. It's the more we get to know him, the farther and the more expansive our influence gets. And then the more expansive our influence gets, then our hearts are in line with God's heart and he trusts us with more. And when he trusts us with more, then he brings about people around us because we've been entrusted with this amazing thing called the gospel. And the gospel isn't something that just bears fruit in individuals. God works in individuals and he spreads that gospel message out to other people. 
It's an amazing ride to be on. Not the swings at the fair, by the way. But the ride that the gospel brings you on is an amazing thing. Because God empowers you. He equips you. And he inspires you to do more than what you could have on your own. People of the gospel of Jesus Christ are also people of the kingdom. I'll eventually get my words synced up with my mind. Eventually. This is just who we are. Although it's not something maybe you've heard that much, but this is just something that we are. This is who we are. This identifies us as as Christians. If you are indeed a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I just want to say thank you very much for just believing that this was a safe place for you to come into. But if you are a Christian, you are a person of the gospel. Not just someone that takes in the gospel, but someone that the gospel works through. I love how Jesus inspires us and he teaches us in the model prayer of this very fact. He says this in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Maybe your translation says, holy be your name. And he says what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, how it is in heaven, bring it to earth. And in, in Jesus uh, just teaching us and just modeling this prayer for us, what he's saying is that we need to be so in sync with God that we're praying that his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And he does that through his kingdom people because we're also gospel people. Can we say amen to that? We're gospel people. We're people of hope. We're people who've been inspired. We're people who are equipped with the Spirit of God. Uh, all right, so I need you guys to help me with this next part. I'm going to ask you a question. And this question, I want you to, to stand up quickly, right? This isn't a family reunion, not, like long lost people. I haven't seen you in two years, all right? None of that. I just want you to stand up, and I want you to tell the people around you what your favorite type of cookie is. If you don't like cookies, just say, I don't like cookies. I like chips or whatever it is, this salty thing, right? Stand up. What are your favorite cookies? Tell the people around you. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. If you came with those people, it doesn't count. Go to a stranger. There you go. Thank you so much. You guys can sit down. Some of you are more excited about cookies than my preaching this morning. You just illustrated a point perfectly that I think sets up the scenario as to where we are in the world right now. Because it was all over the place. Who said chocolate chip cookies? There you go. And, and I, there's so many other different versions of cookies. Somebody said crumble cookie, I'm sure, because, you know, if you know, you know, right? That's what you taught us. It's all over the place, right? The, the types of cookies. And who said no cookies? You're like, I want the salty stuff. Who said that? Who's a little salty this morning? Raise your hand. There you go. A little salty. All right, there we go. You see, what I just allowed you or led you to do was share your opinion with someone else. The day and age that we live in is, is, sure, it's a democracy, but it's really an opinionocracy. I just made that up. Don't look that up. It doesn't exist. 
It's, it's, it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chadism for sure. Thank you, Nick. It, we live in an opinionocracy. In other words, everyone is, everyone's opinion is supposed to matter as much as everyone else's. And if, if you have an opinion, that opinion is quote-unquote truth, just like somebody else's opinion of quote-unquote truth. And now in the middle of that, if you challenge someone's opinion, it's like you're saying something bad about their mom. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, you say something about my mama, I'm coming at you. I know, I get it. Like, and that's the world we live in. So what do we do as gospel people, as, as kingdom people, as we're standing in the gap now and we live amongst this opinionocracy of like what to do and who to believe and whose voice to listen to? This was a similar dynamic as what the people of God at the time were enduring as people of exile. Because there are multiple voices going on and they just don't know quite what to believe. Because on one hand you have Jeremiah who is the voice of God and yet on the other hand you have the, the royal line of kings and it's all from the same family line and it's just like the, it's just the family line. It's just going through. And now there's two conflicting voices because what Jeremiah is saying is, hey, you're going to go into exile. You're going to be here for a long time. Get comfortable. Don't fight the king of Babylon. Don't fight Nebuchadnezzar because if you do, you're also fighting me. And yet in the midst of this, the king, the king of Judah and the kings of Judah were in disbelief as to what Jeremiah was saying. They actually were accusing Jeremiah. They thought that Jeremiah was, was working with the Babylonians to basically spread a message of saying, hey, allow the Babylonians to do whatever they want. So the kings of Judah and that whole family line, they were opposing the message of Jeremiah. Consequently, they were opposing God because they'd all walked away from God. Now imagine being one of the 10,000 people being exiled out of Judah into Babylon. How are they supposed to live? What are they supposed to believe? Because they're, they're in the middle of two different opinions. One of them is actually true and the other one just thinks it's true. I'm going to give the most basic application points today because it's the most basic application points right out of verse 5. Let's go there together. Jeremiah 29, verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So now Jeremiah is giving the instruction to the exiles as to what to do. And we're just, we're just touching these along the way. And we're going to spend the month of October drawing out principles from each one of these things that Jeremiah says to the people of God at the time. And he says, build, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, get comfortable. Get comfortable. It could be said a different way. Don't overreact. If you're filling in the blanks in your connection card, it's don't overreact. Don't overreact. Because if the people of God were to overreact in this moment, then they would not be able to live the life of purpose that God wanted for them. Oh, church, the same is true of us. 
When we overreact and we get overly emotional to what's happening in the world, we get overly critical and we blast people on Facebook and we do everything, we do all of those things, all we do is we just mirror the world. We just mirror it. And when we mirror the world, we're not mirroring, we're not, we're, we're not allowing them to see the kingdom of God, we're just mirroring the kingdom of the world back to them which is what they get the, a steady dose of. But if we're kingdom people, the thing that we have to understand is, where does our hope lie? And if our hope lies in Jesus Christ as kingdom people, then we know how all this plays out, amen? So we don't need to overreact. We live in a land of overreaction. Overreacting on one way, overreacting on the other way, the tug of war for soul and soil, and we're in the midst of that, and we're in the midst of this chaos, and sometimes we're actually people bringing the chaos because we have overreacted. Notice in verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Jeremiah has the heart of a shepherd. God has sent his shepherd to to speak this message to those going into exile. He's encouraging them as exiles, this is how you behave. This is how you live in this foreign land. This is how you're going to make it through. I'm going to dig more into this next week, but... I want you to know when, when the people of God were taken out of Judah, they were t- everything was taken away from them. They were drawn into exile. In other words, their old customs of, in Judah and their old religious practices, all of that was, was then stripped away, and now they had to try and figure out how to, to live their faith and live that, that kind of lifestyle in the middle of Babylon. And Babylon was... They have their their own culture, their own language, their own food, we'll see shortly. They had everything with, everything was offered within them. And yet the instruction of don't overreact also went right back to the Genesis mandate in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, or excuse me, 1, 24 through 26. I think that's wrong on the screen, by the way. How about I just give you the verse anyway? This is what it says. It's actually correct on the screen, by the way. We're all over the place. I'll just read the verse. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Verse 25. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. A lot of kinds here. And God saw that it was good. Then God said in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, the message that God gave to Jeremiah, then to God's people as they're being stripped away from Judah and dropped into Babylon is the same instruction that God gave before sin was introduced into the world. It was, the same, it was the same instruction. Because what were human beings supposed to do? Verse 26, Genesis 1 says this. Let us make man in our image. Here's a reference to the Trinity, by the way. 
And let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, do the thing you should have been doing the whole time. Live life. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget at the core, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Claiming dominion over God's creation as God is allowing us to have dominion in space, our own kingdom, if you will, but don't overreact. God created humanity as a means of maintaining his creation. And Jesus came to ensure that can happen. It's really easy to sugarcoat the truth, though, isn't it? Like, this is the truth. Is, is imagine, just put yourself, even briefly, put yourself in, in, the, in the shoes of Jeremiah, who is seen as an enemy of, of the royal family. He's bringing God's message, and it's a message that God's people would not even really want to hear. And yet he has to bring this message, and he actually endured a lot of trouble and a lot of trials just because he's bringing this message. And we struggle with, with sugarcoating the truth over such small things. Like if somebody says, how do I look in these jeans? You're like, mm, I don't know. I can't go there, right? Your spouse says, does my look big in these jeans? And you're like, I'm not touching that one. Not touching that one. I don't know. You know, or, or somebody says, you know, somebody brings you some food and it says, oh, do you think it's good? And like, if it turns your mouth sour, it's pretty hard to, to be honest about that one too, right? But I'll tell you, one of the, the most difficult things is, is babies, newborn babies. It just is. And I love them. Every, every baby is a precious gift from God. But it is so hard to, when you look at a picture of a, of a newborn baby, and it's one of those pictures where their face is like this, you know what I mean? And it's like, what do you think of my baby? Is my baby cute? And I'm like, hmm. And what I, what I heard from a comedian is, in that moment, you just tell the person, they look just like you. That's what you say. That's, I don't know if that's good advice. I heard that from a comedian, but I don't know. It, maybe it's a safe way of handling that. I'm not really sure, but... All right, I said don't overreact, so settle down, all right? You're like, has he said that about my baby? No, it looks just like you, so that's okay. You know, I'm thankful that, that Jesus didn't sugarcoat the truth either. And that he was willing to stand in the gap in between the message of the Father and then also bringing the message to people who also were enemies of him and enemies of the gospel, but yet he knew that there was going to be a precious few who would receive that message, and they would embrace that message, and they would live out that message. Part of Jesus' teachings in Luke 6 is he tells us how to live a life that is founded in the, on the right things to be able to endure the turbulent times of this world, even in the middle of of this opinionocracy as to what to do and, and how to live. Jesus said this. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. 
It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it was well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins, Jesus says. But the house that is founded upon the solid rock of Christ can endure turbulent times, much more turbulent times than what we are enduring right now. And it spanned the thousands of years and kings and rulers and genocide and hatred and racism and slavery and all of the other things that that have been evil, just evil cast upon this world. And yet the gospel has been spreading throughout all of those environments and the mission of God has continued because his kingdom people did not overreact. They stayed in tune with God And they did the next part. They settled down. They settled down. They didn't overreact. And they settled down. Notice back in this passage, the original passage. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. In 1956, a bottle was washed up on the north coast of Jamaica contained a faded message dated 1750. The writer wrote that his ship was on fire and sinking. Notice this is 200 and some odd years late, you know. So the bottle washes up in 1956 on the the north coast of Jamaica, and it was, the date on it was 1750, and it was saying, hey, my ship's going down and it's sinking and we're all going to die. I think we all could agree that they got the message a little too late, like a couple hundred years too late. I want you to know this. It's not too late for us. You are here, and God knows that you're here, and you are here for, in the words of Esther, for such a time as this. You are here and you're a part of this church in this critical time, in this critical juncture as we exist for the glory of God and and for the the good of the world, and we exist to bring the gospel message into the city and into the nations around us, you are here for a reason, and we need to settle down. This message through Jeremiah was also a message that he would remind them in Jeremiah 29, 28. He's saying, hey, he had already told them it's going to be 70 years that you're going to be in captivity, exiles. He, re- he reminds him, he says, it will be a long time, therefore build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, this is the message on, re- on repeat. Hey, it's going to be a long time. Things aren't going to happen as fast as what you would like for them to. And although there were false prophets at the time saying, oh, Jeremiah's wrong, Jeremiah's wrong, although the kings at the time didn't believe that Jeremiah was right, although all that was going on, Jeremiah's message was consistent. It was one, don't overreact and settle down. Get comfortable. Be the people that you're supposed to be. Don't get caught up in all that's going on in this Babylonian lifestyle. The Word of God tells us in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For us, if we're going to settle down, it's to, it's to embrace the fear of the Lord and understand that the respect and honor that is due to, to our Lord and humble ourselves before the Word of God because that reassures us how this is all going to play out. And not just so that we know the end, but also that it gives instructions as to what we're supposed to do now as we're waiting for the end. Because we're supposed to be active. Just like the people of God were supposed to be active in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. It says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. In other words, no matter where you are as the people of God, embrace the truths that define you as a person of God, as a kingdom person. I've heard it said like this, God is in control, but he doesn't expect you to lean on a shovel and pray that the hole gets dug. And Christians, let's be honest for a couple minutes, shall we? As I look around, there's, there are several of you leaning on shovels praying that God will do something. And what God is trying to prompt in your heart is to be a part of that solution and not to just pray that solution into existence, but to actually embrace it and to become part of the process. Let's put the shovel back in the shed if we're not going to dig the hole or maybe if he wants us to dig the hole, we just grab the shovel and we put some hard back into it. And we actually dig the hole by God's grace. Because if we're going to see some change in our world, if we're going to see a city that is renewed, if we're going to see revival in our day, it's going, to because the, it's going to be because the people of God stand up for what they believe in as the people of God and stop resting on shovels waiting that God would move. It's time that we do some moving and that we trust God. One of the things in Jeremiah's message, if you were to do a, a deep dive into what's happening with the people of God as they were going out into Babylon, is in the simplicity of verse 5, you don't really catch it in really verse 5 through 7. Verse 5 Jeremiah 29, he says again, build houses to settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. There's a message here that God is, is telling God's people, don't rely upon the Babylonians to live. I'll say it in a way that's a little more direct. Don't rely on the government. Don't rely on the government. Don't rely upon, upon the blessings of Babylon. Because Babylon was, a world, was the world power at the time. 
And and Babylon was an identity-forming machine. Their goal was to strip away the identity that you had beforehand, to strip all that away and replace it with Babylonian ideals and a Babylonian language and a Babylonian culture. So part of this message, and, and again, it's so subtle, it's don't live off the government. Don't live off of Babylon. In other words, be relying on God, but also be self-reliant. Because notice the work that they had to do. They were to build their houses, and they were to plant gardens, and they would be able to eat what they produce. They were to marry and have sons and daughters. They were to find wives for their sons and, and give their daughters in marriage, that they too may have sons and daughters. They were to increase and not decrease. And also they were to seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which they were called into exile, and they were to be active in praying for the city because they, too, are kingdom people. And in prayer, they were praying that God's will will be done in their context just as we are. You see, if we, if we live off the government, that means we're actually subservient to the government. If we're living off of whatever the government can provide for us or certain, certain uh, things that would allow us a more comfortable life because of, of, of whatever the government or whoever the government is that provides for us, then we become actually servants and slaves of the government and instead of servants of God. And consequently, that is a way of stripping away Christian identity and then bringing about another bit of identity. I'll dig into this a little bit further. I I just call this lies of the false gospel of government. You've never heard this before, so please listen intently if you're interested. The lies of of the false gospel of government is this. Getting out to vote is the false gospel's evangelism. The discipleship is being an informed partisan voter. The Messiah is the next person to save us while in office. The church becomes the political party. The Bible to them is the doctrine of that political party. And the preachers are the media outlets that promote whatever that political party has. There's there's a false gospel for everything as it pertains to even the false gospel of the government. And the people of God in, in this time scripturally, now back to Jeremiah, is they were supposed to be living into the biblical ideals and not be swept up with what was going on or the blessings that Babylon would bring them. And we are the same if we're gospel people, if we're kingdom people. True Christianity doesn't need a government to thrive, but every government benefits from Christianity. This is not meant to be a political thing, but this is in the con- in context of this passage So I have to do my due diligence to bring this out. But I will say this. In one quote that I think it it sets the stage, even us as as people of God and and the founding of our country, by two of our founding fathers, this quote says this from uh, April 18th of 1775. John Adams and John Hancock. We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. So there is an idea identity that's woven into the American experience that was rooted in the king and not the king of England, the king 
that being Jesus Christ. This isn't foreign to to who we are, although in the day and age that we live in, there's so much at, at, at odds with the message of the faith and, the, and just the message of what it means to be a kingdom person, advancing the kingdom of God. If we're advancing the kingdom of God, I'm going to borrow some, some words from a great book called One Nation Under God. The authors say this, this idea of being kingdom people, cult, it brings about culture work. Culture work entails cultivating the earth to produce food cultivating relationships to produce flourishing families, cultivating legal systems to create order and peace, and cultivating financial systems to produce justice and equity. What you did not hear these authors say is, just sit on your shovel and wait for somebody else to do it. In other words, as kingdom people, we're also to be shaping culture, I believe, in the ways that were just talked about. Well, how can we actually do this? The only way that we can do this is the final point, if you're taking notes, is rely on God. That's the only way. If you leave God out of the equation, you're going to get caught up in the opinionocracy. You're, you're just going to be an empty voice amongst the empty voices. If you're not relying upon God, you're going to bring all of that, that emotion all of your knowledge and all of your experience, tainted as it is, you're going to bring all of that to bear, and we're actually going to be just a resounding gong, just yelling at one another in disagreement, never having unity, never having harmony, never actually being able to tolerate, biblically tolerate one another, to be able to listen to one another even if we disagree. The only way this happens is if we rely on God. These are days, church, to where you and I must be doing the things that keep us connected spiritually. Because there's so much around us that wants us to disconnect spiritually. There are so many temptations. There are so many, there's so many other things at play. And if we're not intentional and in spending time with God and, and relying upon God for our, our words and for our actions and for the inclinations of our heart, we too will get swept up and we will simply be kingdom. We will be people who are kingdom of the world instead of kingdom people defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are days not to be asleep, Christians. These are days to be awake to the mission of God, and God invites us into this. I want to end my talk by just doing kind of a flyover of just a, a reference in Daniel 1. If you have your Bible, you can, uh, it's to the right of your Bible if you're in Jeremiah, but to the right in your Bible. Daniel's time of of when he was a prophet, was during the same time frame of what we're making, the, the time of the exiles. And you see someone who was willing to, even in the face of, of adversity, even in the face of being in the, ba- in, in just in the, the bowels of Babylon, if you will. That means near the king. It's kind of the same thing to me. The bowels, the king of Babylon, kind of the same. And even in the midst of this, 
Daniel is a man of God, and he's trying to please God in everything. He's been pulled out. Uh, he's been pulled out of, of his native land, and now he's living amongst the exiles. And because the king sees great ability in him and in others, the king is now investing in them, and now he's trying to educate them and enculturate them on how to be Babylonians. So he is right in the midst of this. So, so Daniel doesn't want to just forego his faith and live amongst the Babylonians. He wants to keep his faith intact while at the same time using that influence to positively influence the king, the pagan king, the Babylonian king. In Daniel 1, 8 through 21, you see this, this temptation because the Babylonian king was wanting Daniel in Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, wanting them to just be all into the Babylonian lifestyle, eating the food that they eat and, and the language and, and, and bringing them near the royal family and, and just the nobility of that. Notice how this plays out in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who, who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, I'm at verse 15, by the way, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine what they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found nothing equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Verse 21, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. In other words, Daniel's legacy and influence outlasted the Babylonian Empire. Because King Cyrus was the Persian king who would overthrow the Babylonians. Daniel relied upon God. He's in this pressure cooker, and there's a lot of other pressure cookers. You ought to read specifically, read Daniel 1 through 6, and you see over and over and over how he relied upon God in just incredibly difficult circumstances. I believe these are scriptural examples for us to, to be hopeful, to be reminded of God's power and presence 
to be reassured that as, as kingdom people, that when we embrace God and embrace his principles, when we rely upon him, we have reassurance that it's going to be okay. And never to bring about fear, but always to bring about faith. Because this is what God is still doing in the world. He wants us to be people of faith, even as people who are living as strangers of this world. Would you stand? I want to ask you a, a simple question before I get off this stage, and I just want to ask you this question. Do you know somebody who needs to hear this message? Do you know somebody who needs to hear this message? Do you know somebody outside the kingdom of God and yet you're just, you, just the longing of your heart is, oh, just say, I wish they knew. I wish they believed. I wish they knew Jesus. Let's take a moment and pray for them. Right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Who needs to hear this message? The message of the gospel, the message of hope. Who is it? Who is it? God, I'm trusting that you've, you've put names on hearts. And God, I'm asking that you would give all of us courage to invite that person into this place. Speak words of, of hope love and optimism gospel words God give us the courage to speak those words to the people that you put on our heart this church isn't the fix Jesus you are the redeemer Jesus break our heart for what breaks yours for the sleepy Christian in the room and they're just going through the motions kind of a just kind of a lazy faith God I pray that you would just stir them just with the awareness of the spirit for the person of God who's passionate about lost people God I pray that you just just give them 
opportunity to match that passion and give them courage with words to, to match that passion and that opportunity, God, that they would be at just the, the people of God spreading that message as you've already put in their heart to do. And God, for the person who's in the room is just far away from you. Maybe they don't even know you at all. God, I pray that you just stir their hearts right now. Maybe draw to mind the fact that, that Jesus, that you being God, you stepped out of, of heaven and you came to earth. Most humble of examples, God becoming a man. And that you, live a, um, you lived amongst people like us. And you were crucified because of people like us. But Jesus, the cross didn't have the final word because they put you in the tomb and you rose, proving to them and to us that you're indeed God. You also prove that you're worthy of our allegiance, that you are the source of our hope. as you gave the gospel, just the good news that lost souls could be saved. People who don't know you could know you in a personal way. So Jesus, as we continue to sing and respond, I know you're gonna meet us where we are. If there's somebody who needs to do business with you, God, give them the courage to come up front to do so. If it's business they need to do in their seats, God, I pray that they would not miss this moment because in doing so, they would be missing you. Do your work, Jesus. Amen.